Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. I just like the fact that she's, she's got the Toledo Mud Hens hat on, just really playing right into your strong suit there, Jeremy. You know, when she said she was from Ohio or was born in Ohio, I just, I went right to Toledo. I don't know why I did. And there we go. The energy, Elizabeth, to step you know, there, there's a surprising number of people who have been to Toledo. You, you would be surprised. A lot of people have been to Toledo. Um, so I didn't live there very long, but still have family there. And memories of of the mud hens. So that's why I'm wearing my mud hens today. So a little odd trivia, you know, that, uh, Michigan, and Ohio fought over Toledo when they were becoming states. And I guess Ohio won. Yeah. I mean, yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't know why, but, um, <laughs> that's been the, so there you have it. that's been the theme of uh, football, I think for the last 15 years or so too, it's been pretty steady beatings from Ohio going to Michigan. But anyways, we're live from Perhaps the Brown Palace. Perhaps we should Palace. do an introduction, Jeremy. But I'm live from the Brown Palace, Tim. I told you I wanted to talk about that. Just look at how beautiful this is in the background. Let's take... Oh, Elizabeth Elizabeth hadn't stunning. been. It's amazing. Elizabeth hadn't been, but Tim, you're. did you ever stay here when you had come to Denver? No, I've been in the, the ship with the ship room uh, many ship times. Tavern. Ship's Tavern. Ship's Tavern, but I haven't, haven't stayed at the Brown Palace. I do like the uh, open... Uh, bedroom behind you so that's kind of fun yeah i mean this is it's a spectacular place definitely a denver landmark anyways tim why don't you introduce elizabeth she is going to absolutely rock this one of the most dynamic women that i've met in oil and gas period and i will let you introduce her okay so i guess elizabeth we met golly 2013 maybe Probably before that. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. But anyway, we were, uh, we're doing, I don't want to pitch a product or anything, but, uh, Oxy had just spun out CRC. So there was a software rationalization. We got ourselves into a little fight, you know, a little bake off. Fortunately we won, but it was, it was amazing working with Elizabeth during that phase because she, you know, she was so knowledgeable about the entire process and really gave us an opportunity to, succeed where anybody could have easily just chosen the incumbent and move forward. And we, we managed to kind of succeed and that, but I was so impressed with the reputation Elizabeth has in the industry, uh, her technical knowledge. And then, you know, and then you, you look at her profile, she's, she's doing a lot to help people in the industry right now. And, you know, so it's been a, it's been great to kind of watch. But anyway, Elizabeth, I guess probably best to let you do your own little bio. I know you don't like talking about yourself, but we got to plug it a little bit and we we'll maybe pull a little bit more out of you. Yeah, let, let, <laughs> let's get to know who you are a little bit. I mean, what do you want to know? You got to ask, ask me some questions. Right, so I mean, we, we started out pre-show with where you're from, where'd you grow up and all yeah. that. So let's start with that. And then I guess your path to the oil and gas industry, exactly. because as Jeremy and I have discovered, there is no typical path to this industry. Everybody seems to have the oh, kind of a weird march in. Yeah, my, mine was um, is very weird. Um, so the closest I got to oil and gas 
as a kid um, so that I wanted to be a paleontologist when I was a kid. So I don't know if that counts as, you know, having a perception of the industry or not, but that's basically the closest I got to oil and gas. I went to Texas once when I was six, when we were driving from Alaska to North Carolina. That was the only time I'd been to Texas or Oklahoma, any of your your typical uh, oil patch places. Um, so I really didn't have any kind of knowledge or perception of the industry. Um, when I was uh, in college, I was a materials engineer undergrad, and I, I did fuel cell research. I worked for GE Nuclear for two years, and so I really liked energy. Um, and Exxon gave me a job offer. That's how I ended up in the industry. Um, I wasn't targeting oil and gas. I, I was targeting energy of some sort. Um, but yeah, that, so it's very, very random. <laughs> very wow. weird. And I guess that got you to Houston or to... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So Exxon hired me straight out of um, college, um, but I'd already worked for, for GE for a couple of years, which is probably why they hired me and um, brought me straight to Houston. So I'd been to Houston one time before uh, moving to Houston, and that was during my interview. Um, so interviewed, moved here, didn't know what they wanted me to do, but I figured I could figure it out. So one more on the growing up. So you, I know you, you were born in Ohio, went to Alaska, off to North Carolina. What, as a child, what made you guys move around? What was that? Um, my dad was in the military, um, for a, not a, he wasn't career military. He was in for, I think five or six years. Uh, so that took us to Alaska. And then um, when he rotated into the reserves, we left Alaska and moved east. Um, okay. So that was, that was the move. Well, I'm, I'm an Air Force brat too, so I sympathize. Anytime I hear people moving around as a child, I'm, I'm instantly, yeah, well, good chance they're oil field brat or an Air Force brat or some sort of military brat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alaska was wonderful. Um, we lived in Fairbanks and I was really little, uh, but it was a great place to be a kid. I mean, it fantastic place to be a kid. I don't know how um, easy it would be to be an adult there, um, but as a kid, it was a wonderful yeah. Really? I mean, we we had like moose like coming into our yard. We had bears, like a family of grizzly bears trying to come on our school bus. Um, so, as a parent, that's probably pretty scary. As a kid, it's really really cool. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, you know. I always sort of wondered about that. It just seemed so foreign, especially like I grew up in New Hampshire, right? So just completely other side of the map and, and so big and vast. And you just envision like snowing and, and ice. And I'm like, well, that's what it's like here. So if I just close my eyes, maybe I pretend that I'm in Alaska, but it's a similar type of thing. It's a wonderland when you're a kid. And as you grow up, you're like, wow, it's pretty dense. It's gray a lot, right? The, the lack of sun can be an issue, right? And you find your way to somewhere else so there, there's a lot of different places we could go with this elizabeth so you're viewed i would say kind of as a as a thought leader what is what is truly your your passion from a from a business perspective it seems like you've got your hands in lots of different things i, I was kind of made aware of you as a, a a and d type person looking at you know constantly looking at deals and trying to make a creative value for the organizations you work for but i know you're into tech and you've been in project management, rationalization of technology. Like, what is it? Where Where is your heart? And kind of take us a little bit through the things that, that make you go from a career standpoint. Yeah, so for me, it's all about, um, you know, really thinking through what motivates me and what are my values, right? And so I 
love learning. Um, I'm like truly like, an obsessive learner. I, I, I learn about everything. And I am motivated by, you know, helping, uh, not necessarily people, uh, but, you know, I do, as you guys know, help, help people quite a bit, but helping uh, companies, organizations be better uh, and, and really making a difference um, within those organizations or to an individual person. If, if I'm helping a, an individual, that's what motivates me. Right. So it's learning and helping um, in a lot of different uh, respects. And so if you kind of connect my career um, you know, and I have done a bunch of different things, um, both within the industry and outside of the industry, um, that's going to be the common thread, right. Through, through all of that, that stitches it all together. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I just want to, I'm going to, I'm going to snake through your career just a little bit. Um, cause there's one thing that, that at least it's close to where I met you anyway, but you went through the transition, you're at Oxy for what, two or three years. And I, you know, then you find yourself out in California with Oxy and there's the the transition, the spin out of the entire California operation into a brand new company. What's that like on the inside going through that process? I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that, that have to happen. What's that like from your perspective? Yeah. So, um, you know, my tenure with Oxy actually started a little bit earlier um, than being in-house. So Oxy was a client when I was at Ryder Scott okay. and um, we had been effectively seconded um, into Oxy of, of two, three months out of the year to help them with um, some of their forecasting. And so I had been doing that for, I don't know, maybe two or three years prior to joining Oxy as it was. Um, and when the spinoff started happening, I was on the Houston side. I was in BD in Houston and I was given a choice um, or at least uh, an ability to weigh in on, do I want to stay in Houston or do I want to go to California? Uh, and just because of the virtue of my position in BD. Um, so um, I chose to go to California or I, I gave the, you know, the uh, opinion that I wanted to go and they did what they wanted. Um, and the reason for that is like, when do you get the opportunity to work on um, a spinoff of that size uh, it was a very unique spinoff to do kind of an upstream carve out um, of a public company into another public company that was going to be sure. quite large. I knew what was going to, um, you know, the, what the leverage, you know, the leverage was going to be different. Um, you know, Oxy obviously didn't have to deal with that. Um, and so that leverage is just a different ballgame. Uh, and so it was just interesting to me, right? So going back to kind of learning and, and being super curious, um, I, you know, I was like, huh, that's different. Okay. Um, you know, let's, let's figure out if there's a role where I can be helpful to this company. Um, and if so, I'll go do it. Uh, and so that's kind of how it all materialized. Um, and from then, I mean, it was just a sprint for seven years, right? There wasn't, oh, yeah. you know, I think we, um, there might've been a, a, a total of six months during that seven year period where we weren't, just flat out of sprinting at something. Um, and, you know, and that was, you know, prices collapsing and leverage. And I think we did 10 credit amendments in seven years, which is a whole lot. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On top of multiple JVs and deals and um, all kinds of other stuff. So uh, there's not really anything I haven't done at this point. So from a, a learning perspective, uh, it certainly was a crash course for and sure. I think that the assets that CRC has in California, just going back to the learning 
they're so varied. I mean, you've got water floods, yeah. steam floods, cyclic steam, the whatever's going on underneath Long Beach. Diatomite. Don't forget to shout out Diatomite. Look, diatomite. I'm not the scientist here, but shout out Diatomite. Yeah, CRC doesn't have a huge diatomite position. Oh, um, what there the was, hell? Yeah, but there, <laughs> there, there was some. There was some. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that was the thing that I, th- I think a lot of people don't really appreciate about California. Uh, and this goes back to job seekers, right? So if I'm going to kind of tail it back into what have, what have I been doing for the last nine months, helping people get hired. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when people are coming out of California or places like California, they've worked a lot of different things. Yeah. And, you know, when there's a hiring manager they tend to look for, oh, I want somebody that, you know, has worked Permian and, you know, only worked Permian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are certainly good reasons for that. And there are times that you need that. But there are other times where, you know, just go get an A-team player that's had exposure to your type of assets. And A-team players will figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll be resourceful and they'll figure it out. And often they have a really good frame of reference coming in to be successful in those roles. So, um I tend to like to hire 18 players. I hire for culture and, um, you know, I, I focus a little less on specific geographic areas of, of experience. Right. So I, I want to, to kind of question what, what you've got going on right now. You and I had a conversation kind of when I was early in my, I would say entrepreneurship starting Funk Futures earlier this year. Um, and we, we had a conversation and you said, you know, you've got, you're helping different startups, right? You've got your hands in a lot of things that are non oil and gas. And I don't even know what you can talk about, right? What What's public. And I'm sure you have your hands in even more, but kind of what are you, what's your day to day right now? Like you're not working at an oil and gas company right now, right? So I'm curious what your day to day is. Well, I'm not working for money in oil and gas. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, my last day at CRC was in May. And so I'm still pretty fresh off the boat. Um, had a couple really fantastic job opportunities out the gate um, that some um, you know colleagues connected me with, um, and it was wonderful. Um, but it's just too soon, right? And so, kind of coming out of um, you know taking a company through bankruptcy is no joke. And I really just wanted to um, you know just rest, um, rest and reflect and. Uh, do some volunteering and, and, you know, kind of take the summer and see, see what was going to come out of it. So, yeah, you're right, Jeremy. I, um, I've got, I've got a lot of different things going on. Um, I might be a little bit busier now than I was (laughs) at CRC, but, um, what I've been doing is a bunch of, um, help for startups and job seekers, um, in addition to um, some oil and gas work on the side, but that's still stealth mode. Um, with the startups, it's quite interesting. I, I joined a couple of angel investing groups and it's something I've always done, um, but I haven't been part of a group before. And what's interesting about the groups, um, the deal flow, right? So they see a lot of different deals that come through, the different types of deals. Um, and, and that's interesting for me. I'm not having to, you know, go out and, you know, be a find friends and family type of deals. It's a, a way to source deals. Um, I am leading a deal right now. Um, so I'm, I'm leading, uh, serving as a deal lead for the group and one of the deals that they'll likely participate in. Um, it's not an oil and gas or anything related. Um, and, and so a lot of the things I do in my personal time aren't related to oil and gas, uh, the reason for that is I find that 
Uh, there's so many learnings from other industries. I spend an enormous amount of time within energy, right? So I learn within energy just by virtue of what I do day to day, going to conferences day to day. And so in my personal time, I like um, exploring other industries because you just learn so much, right? And so I listened to your podcast with Josh Adler um, right before this. And wow. a lot of the technologies he's talking about that he's using are from other industries. They're from military, Absolutely. they're, you know, they're from defense, they're from, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And um, if all you do is spend time in your box, then you're, you're really going to keep yourself in that box. Right. Um, so that's why I spend time outside and it's, it's a lot of fun. Tim, have you, have you watched it or listened to it yet? The Adler podcast? I'm actually, oddly enough, I've got it up on the other screen. I'm listening to the really? first half of it. I haven't no. had a chance. You know, it's it's just so weird. Today. This is, well, I have to be prepared. I've never been on a podcast no, before. That so, is, you know, that's big. Time. I'm a researcher. <laughs> I'm a researcher. I'm like, oh. <laughs> got to see what I'm going to get into here. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Now that we're on video, I, I'm now conscious. You know, when we were just audio, I was worried about what words do I say all the time and will people yeah. detect me saying, you know, certain catchphrases? I think I've gotten rid of all those. But now on video, it's facial expressions that I'm starting to recognize. Oh, man, I got to stop making my my scowl face or anything like that. So, yeah, it's always been kind of interesting that way. Um, anyway, so, Elizabeth, I wanted to go back. What I don't know, September or so is when I first started noticing you really going out of your way to introduce people to opportunities, both in the industry and out of the industry, really kind of trying yeah. to take the guys who had severed in oil and gas and, you know, put them in geothermal or wherever else, you know, what, I mean, obviously you want to help people, but what's that been like? Have, has that been, I mean, you've, you had a number that you had placed. Uh, I think you posted that on LinkedIn a few months ago, but what's that been like and how successful has that been? Um, you know, I mean, even helping one person get a job that feeds their family is, a uh, a success as far as I was concerned. Right. So, you know, I have a big network within oil and gas, but I also have a big network outside of oil and gas. Um, and as the situation got worse and worse and worse and more and more people being out of work, uh, why not use your network for good? Right. It's basically right. I've got a huge network. Um, I've, I used to do resume coaching a long, long time ago, you know, volunteering, uh, it's like, why not help some people, um, you know, you know, feel a little more motivated that somebody actually cares and, and get them back on their feet or do what I can to get them back on their feet. Uh, you know, you can't solve every problem or help every person, but, um, you know, it just is a huge need. Right. And, and it's great for the employers too. Right. I mean, and I've, there are so many people that have come to me with random one-off jobs, like everything from, you know, housekeeping to office managers to, you know, very senior executives. It's like, Hey, do you know anybody that's interested or that would be a good fit for this? And usually I have a batch of resumes for them, um, you know, or I can get them in short order. Um, and, you know, now that things are tightening up a little bit, um, you know, I'm, I'm less, uh, less busy with that. Right. Um, last year was really tough for a lot of people. Uh, first quarter was really tough for a lot of people. Lots of mergers, lots of bankruptcies, lots of layoffs. 
there were a lot of people in the market. What I will say is it's it's going to be interesting as things heat up a little bit um, and, and companies try to go back to refill those positions because a lot of the positions that they cut, those people have left the industry and they're not coming back, right? So we see a lot of that with um, IT staff, um, data scientists, uh, you know, developers, um, you know, those are very translatable um, to other industries, those skill sets. And once people leave, um, you know, it's, it's unlikely that they're going to come back that quickly. Right. So I think there's going to be a pretty big gap in certain types of skills um, with the industry, um, to be quite honest with you. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I wonder, I've wondered a couple times if we're going to see the same uh, gap in employment that we had in the eight from the, the caused by the eighties collapse. And now uh, if there's going to be another, well, what do they call it? The crew change where there's going to be another gap of employment for the younger people right now, who are just not interested in going into oil and gas. I wonder if we're approaching that same, same scenarios we did back in the, well, when we started talking about it in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, I, I, well, the skills, the skill sets in a lot of cases have changed, right? And so I think you're, the gap you're going to see, there will be a gap. Um, but I, I think the bigger, and I could be completely wrong on this, right? But as our businesses get more and more efficient and more and more digital, um, you know, you have things like cloud technologies that and there's not a lot of people in oil and gas to start with that know it. And, you know, you know, just at, you know, CRC, the you know guy that got laid off at CRC is now at Amazon and he's not even in energy at Amazon. Right. So, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, left the industry. Um, and, and he was a cloud expert. So, um, you know, the, they get picked up quickly and you can't find them to start with. So, um, we'll see, but I think that's going to be the big challenge is, you know, as you have increased pressure to be more efficient and more digital, to use data, um, like source water is used data, you need the people that have the foundational ability to do that. And you don't just learn those skills on the fly, right? So I'm not converting a mechanical engineer into a petroleum engineer. Um, you, you don't, it takes a lot of time to get minimally competent with that, with that skill set. Right. So we'll see. Well, we'll see so, how well, Elizabeth's mentioned source water twice now, so we may have to charge Josh. <laughs> we, I need to follow up with Josh. So so with CRC and, and Tim, to kind of continue the theme that we had with Mike Umbro, uh, and we went back and forth on this a little bit, the way that companies drill for oil in California is a little bit different than the way they drill for oil in West Texas or gas um, in Western Pennsylvania and, and Ohio and things of that sort, right? So, so I'm sort of curious, does it take a different type of scientist or um, are there people like, I've only worked in this basin for the last 50 years, or do you think t technology can automate some of that? Because you really get people who specialize in a certain area, a certain field. Um, do you think that the, the sort of future of the industry is people taking on more, understanding even a little bit more potentially about energy transition or non-upstream uh, sciences? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's a lot of benefits to being a specialist in a specific field, but there are also a lot of um, downsides to that, right? So, you know, how do you 
get better, faster, cheaper, it's usually not staying just within, again, within your box, right? Um, so anytime somebody's trying to optimize drilling efficiency in Eagleford, they don't just look within Eagleford to, to do that. They'll look to what's what's happening in the Bakken, what's happening in, you know, Haynesville or wherever they want to look to for their analogs to get um, ideas and, and some best practices, right? Um, so, you know, I don't honestly think it's a great thing if somebody just stays within a specific um, field their whole entire career. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, you know, will some things be able to be automated um, in our industry? Yes. Um, and, and I actually hope hope so. Um, there, there are a lot of uh, things that we do that, um, you know, particularly if there are safety issues or if there are, you know, high risks associated, we absolutely should be trying to automate as much of that as we possibly can. Um, you know, simple, you know, just, you know, within recent memory, um, you know, scanning for wildfires, using drones to find wildfires or, or SAT or heat maps or whatever they're doing, right? That helps you keep, um, you know, people and property safer uh, because you're you're finding those things faster, right? So, um, you know, we're using all kinds of new technology to, um, you know, scan pipelines and, you know, look for, look for leaks or potential issues and detect those faster. Um, you know, and that, that means you don't have to send a human out there, right? Um, so it's it's safer for the human, um, you know, not getting into a car wreck or, or whatever is happening along the way. Um, and you can also do it more frequently, right? So you're going to catch stuff faster. And the reality is, in a lot of cases, the, the tech is going to be um, more accurate at diagnosing those earlier um, issues than just sending sending a person out there to walk the line, right? We had uh, Mike Umbro on, like Jeremy mentioned, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, he's pretty big advocate pointing out the, uh, I don't say intellectual hypocrisy, but the, the trade-offs that California operators are, and California politicians are having to make between, hey, we don't want you to frack or we don't want you to, you know, drill anymore or really slow down production. But we do want to import oil into the port of Long Beach from wherever they're getting the oil from. And really kind of this, yes, we we need the oil, but we're not going to produce it ourselves. But we're going to we're going to send that off. and We're going to outsource that to Ecuador as opposed to Bakersfield. And I know Ecuador? obviously is operating Ecuador? in California is a bit Operating in California is a bit more of a challenge uh, from an operating perspective. Uh, I don't know if you've got, if you're ready to comment on those types of things yet. I know you're pretty soon after CRC, but I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, maybe it was because I didn't live it day to day in operations, but I don't think, you know, the regulatory environment in California is necessarily any more challenging in its entirety than New Mexico or Colorado or, you know, some of the other places. I just think California is probably a little ahead of the game uh, than other states and, you know, where ultimately we're all going to end up at some point. Um, we were able to do everything we needed to do to run our fields um, safely, effectively, and efficiently. Um, sometimes it took a little longer to do to do it, right? More filings are 
um, documents to, to provide. But the assets in California are different, right? So you're not doing long reach, you know, three mile horizontal wells with right. huge racks on them. You're not going to do that. Um, and, and so, you know, you're drilling at least for CRC, um, very, you know, shallow, cheap wells. Um, most of our assets were, you know, Kern County, right. Which is quite, quite favorable. And we actually own minerals and in a lot of cases surface for all of our assets. So CRC's, um, operating environment was a little bit different, right. Um, than, than others. And so I, you know, I don't, you know, I agree with you, Tim, in that you, you shouldn't kind of dump your garbage in somebody else's yard, right. Where you don't have to see it. And, you know, you, we should, as you know, humans trying to make the world a better place, own the whole, you know, value chain of our decisions and in, in my opinion. Right. And so, you know, what that means is if, you know, you really truly believe that, um, we need to be significantly more environmentally conscious. Um, I want to produce oil and gas under, you know, the most environmentally conscious rules and regulations um, until they're, you know, a viable alternative that can handle the scale has, has come and displaced it. Um, I don't want to off put it to, you know, China, um, you know, where most of their energy or a large portion of their energy is still coming from coal. Right. Um, you know, I don't want it to be produced in um, Venezuela, right, where you know, the environmental restrictions are, are nil, right? So you know, I'm from a family of environmentalists, so I've always kind of seen both sides of this. You know, my, my grandmother wouldn't let us eat snow um, because <laughs> it was acid rain, you know? I mean, seriously. Acid <laughs> rain. Rain. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't want us to eat snow because of acid rain. And my mom was a science teacher. So, you know, I kind of grew up being aware. Um, (laughs) So it's a different person. Did I ever talk about acid rain, Tim, on this podcast? Did we, did we dive into that? I don't remember seeing that topic ever. um, I was, (laughs) I went to Brandeis university, prestigious university. They, wait, they can't take my degree 20 years later, right? They, that's not possible. Or any I of my think friends it's yours to keep now. I think it's yours oh, to keep. So there was a class that I took that was called a very difficult school, really, like like top 10 for sciences, really brilliant people that went there. And I took a class. Are you sure they let to, you in? I don't know how. Definitely wouldn't have gotten in now. I, I took a class called The Magnitude of Things. And it was basically like a fourth through sixth grade level science course. And it was, you know, a lot of the athletes and just people that needed to check a certain box. And there was one assignment for the whole semester. And it was a 10 to 12 page paper on anything to do with science. So I wrote my paper on acid rain. Why? Because I took a class on water where you had to write a water thing. I'm like, well, I just wrote a science fair paper. So here we go and submitted it. So nonetheless, Acid rain, I remember digging into that. It actually makes you a little bit scared because I grew up in an area where there was a lot of snow. And of course, every all kids like to eat snow. You're like, oh, this is actually bad. What would you guys have written your 10 to 12 yeah, page paper yeah. on when you were 21, 22? I'm curious. I have no idea. I don't really remember being 21 or 22 <laughs> at this point. I was doing a lot of traveling. during. I wrote mine on gas chromatography. chromatography. You guys are such nerds. No, <laughs> not you guys. 
Now you guys. Because <laughs> they're <laughs> such nerds. No, there's no, there, I'm sure I wrote some pretty, um, horrible papers during that period of time, but I don't remember any of them. I do have a project that I did um, when I was a senior in high school or college about that period of time that was so much pain and suffering to do it that I kept it. And so I still have it just out of virtue of, you know, this thing cost me like hundreds of hours of my life. I'm keeping it. Um, But yeah, it will phase diagrams. There we go. Oh, now we're getting nerdy. That's good nerdy. It's too nerdy. It's too nerdy for the podcast. Too nerdy for the podcast. We can go back. Rally, my grandma was from Kentucky, or that grandmother, I think she was from Kentucky, Kentucky, St. Louis. So there was a ton of like pollution and, you know, contamination. And she didn't want you drinking like out of a pond or out of, you know, eat the snow. Right. And so, um, so yeah, I mean it's you, you. I don't think we should pass off our consumption. You know the what we should own our value chain, right? Um, yep, and great. as a environmentalist working in oil and gas, I believe that, right? That we we should own our our value chain, and we need to do everything we can to be good stewards. Fantastic. So so well said. One of the things I'm, I'm we're trying to transition to the to the lighter side here, but one of the things. <laughs> Elizabeth, when I was working with you back in the Bake Off, um, I knew that you were kind of commuting Houston to Bakersfield and maybe to LA some. And so it just, as one of the common threads from our early days on the podcast, Jeremy, was to talk about traveling and the odd places that we've been or the, the, you know, and I know, you know, I just wanted to kind of put that to you is, do you have any good travel stories, the Bakersfield airport back in the early, early days or anything like that? I don't have any Bakersfield travel stories. All of those seem pretty straightforward and smooth. Um, so my biggest business travel fail, um, I, I had a business meeting in Perth, Australia, um, but had made at least one other business stop on the way, right? So I was flying into Perth on a Sunday. I don't remember where we were coming from before then. I was traveling with my colleague, Harris Ghazali, um, who's now at Lazard. And we get to Perth and I'm, I'm really, really like an OCD traveler. I have my system down. I mean, I've, I, I'm usually like on it. Well, this trip, and it was because we were just flying direct into Perth. Um, I did not do my normal of bringing like one change of business clothes in my carry-on, which I always do. But I was so, so tired that I checked my carry-on and I forgot to pull out, a, you know, an outfit that I could throw into my backpack. And so bags come out, everybody else's bags come out. Mine doesn't show up. Mine does not show up. And it's, I think it was Saturday night and we had Sunday in Perth and then our meeting was first thing Monday morning. Well, in Western Australia, nothing's open on Sunday. Nothing. Uh, nothing at all. So I wore Harris Ghazali's khaki pants. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I wore Harris's khaki pants and they were like 1990s, like had pleats and things. I mean, I'm sure they were new, you know, not from the 90s, but they had pleats and they were awful, but they fit me and I wore them and they were better than my leggings that I had or whatever. My pajama pants. I don't know what That's I was wearing. Amazing. Yeah. And my so bag showed up later. And 
I have, no, no. Uh, That's I've, my got worst very, I've got a similar story. I got a similar story of me flying to Boston when that's where uh, Spotfire's headquarters was. My bag didn't show up, but I left from Houston. Yep. I I left from Houston in my, you know, shorts because it was warm here. And I figured, well, what the heck? I'll just get into a cab, get to Somerville, Mass, change, and I'll be ready to go. They they didn't show up, of course. So I'm walking. I I got on the T two stops to get to the to the office and had to work all day in the freezing cold in a t-shirt and shorts and it was just it was snowing you know typical boston february or something like that and it was uh anyway, so i didn't have anybody's clothes to change into and i guess if anybody sees me there's not many people that can exchange clothes <laughs> with me either so <laughs> yeah well i very rarely check bags like ever um but uh, and I certainly have never forgotten to bring a business change of clothes if I need it um, in a carry-on bag ever since then. That was probably 10 years ago that happened. Um, so that's, and that's, that's a lesson hilarious. to all new travelers. Overpack. Always have a change of clothes in your carry-on. For whatever meeting, you're, whatever is the critical path item, right? Like, I, yeah. you know, just, just don't, don't, just don't check it. <laughs> just don't. Yeah. Of course, it always happens right. when you do something um, you don't and, normally do, right? Right, so, so, right. And I didn't know everything was closed on Sundays, right? I had no idea that everything was closed on Sundays. So do oh, your yeah. destination research as well to understand what you're going to be able to do. But um, that's my best, best, biggest fail. The favorite oil place I traveled, um, it's probably going to surprise you guys. Um, we had an uh, audit trip to Brunei. And I don't know if you guys have been to Brunei. Um, it's like the well, at least at the time, it w- was like what I envision 1950s U.S. to be. Um, oh, so wow. it showed up, and I thought I, I I was hungry, and there was one pizza place, and so I called the pizza place, and I thought that they would take Malaysian dollars. Um, stupid me, I, I just didn't know. And they didn't. They brought my pizza, and I'm like, tried to give them the money. No, no, ma'am, we don't take that. Oh, okay, okay. Let me go get some change for from you from the hotel. And they said, no, 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 no. It's okay. You can pay next time. What? Like, you can <laughs> next pay next time. time. You can pay next time. This is a pizza delivery service, not from the hotel. From an <laughs> next outside. Time. That's awesome. A letting like saying no. You can pay next time. Like what? What is that? That's not a good business strategy. Um, awesome. If you <laughs> if you were just walking down the road and you were potentially maybe going to cross the the road not at a crosswalk, not at a stop sign. You look like you might be thinking about crossing the road. All the cars stopped and they looked at you and they just waited. Middle oh, road. wow. So yeah. it- I don't care what year it was. That did not happen in 1950s Boston. Houston and you need to count to 10 before you cross oh, the road man. because somebody is going to be barreling through that light. With a big old truck, with a big old right. truck. So, so a couple, uh, a couple things yeah. here before we, uh, before we sign off. This is, this is good stuff. Um, so, m- this might be a thing, Tim, because next week, I think tomorrow I'm going to be in my usual recording spot, which is the office. But next week, as you know, we talked about this. I'm flying to Boston and then going to New Hampshire, and then the next week we're spending a week in Boston. So I've got like two full weeks on the East coast. So we're just going to mix up random locations. Maybe it's going to be a hotel spot and 
in Boston, you know, maybe it's going to be, you know, that outside of my parents' house in the yard. Who knows, man? It, we'll see. We'll see. Keep them guessing. We need we need something from the harbor. Something from the harbor. <laughs> have no. Have, no, 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 not Harvard. You have to go to MIT. Go oh, to MIT. Harvard. No, he said Harvard. MIT, Harvard. not Harvard. He didn't, yeah. he didn't say Harvard. He said Harbor. No. Harbor, not Harvard. Not, 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 oh, the harbor? You want to go to the harbor? No, he said Harbor. No, MIT would be good. It's the only time you're going to get in there, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, that was, that was mean, Tim. That was there's mean. actually there's actually some some family history there. My uh, my dad, one of the smartest people ever, book smart, totally aloof. He could be sitting across from me right now, not listening or knowing even what I'm doing. Oh, you're done, sure, but brilliant psychology professor. Uh, graduated college when he like I think he was 20. Like he turned 21 like the next day. He was very young. And very, very high in his class at Rutgers and went to MIT and he was going to be a chemist. And I think he spent like enough time in a lab for one semester. He's like, no, no, I'm done. So his experience at MIT was not what I think he'd, he'd hoped for. So he was always sort of negative on it. But whatever. I wouldn't have gotten in anyway, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't know. You didn't try. I that's, didn't. That's I don't need to burn point. money. I don't need to burn money. I don't need to. <laughs> Anyways, this was awesome. Tim, you have anything else you want to close us out with? No, I was just going to say, I wanted to thank you, Elizabeth, for coming on. I know this is kind of outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, I think I think the world of you and I, I think that, you know, you're a fine example to women, women in STEM, uh, the work you're doing with the uh, 11, was, what's the name of the company? 11 Defense? Or, uh, yeah. Yep. Um, and you know, helping people find jobs. I just, I just thought you, you're a great example of what we should all be striving to do. And I really appreciate you coming on right. and uh, sitting with us. Right. I know we could have done this for another hour if we wanted to. Well, we might have to, depending on how the uh, Jer- Jeremy is getting kicked out of oh the the podcast recording goes. Well, I mean, yours are. <laughs> we may have to take. Yours will have recorded, so Tim, maybe I won't get a local version, but it shows up on yours. I'm worried about audio in that case, but. We'll see. Either way, I think there's a lot of good content. We'll even see. Just I'm going to bet. It, I'm going to bet it's up there. I'm going to bet it's up there. All right. All right. Well, it's because it's not so, showing it up like at all. I don't know. Can I ask you guys a, a closing question? Sure. Because yeah. we probably don't ever learn about you guys during these podcasts. Okay. So give me like off the top of your head, your favorite song of all time and why? Just like in the moment right now? For me, his favorite song changes well, yeah, in the moment right now. So right I think now it's that mine song changes like- day to day, and the the earworm, the earworm I have right now is "Sangria Wine" by Jerry Jeff Walker. Okay, why? So, well, I had sangria last night, and the song hit me, and now I can't get it out of my head. So yeah. I'm going to go with that one for now. But I like that style, kind of folky, country, you know, style. Yeah, Jeremy. It goes like this. I'm the one who wants to be with you. Deep inside, I hope you'll feel it too, feel it too. Laid it on the line. Laid it on the line. Just to be the next to be with you. I mean, I guess I said the first song that came to mind. Is that I am. Mr. <laughs> That's Big? your favorite one? 
uh, no, right now? No, it's just the song that you like Mr. in the Big moment. Mr. Big is your just, favorite? Well, that song right now is my favorite song in the moment. My favorite song of all time is a more complex question. Jeez, I wasn't expecting that. Um, uh, I just love the fact that he was singing it there in the Brown Palace. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> fucking my God. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, mine. Mine is um, Dock of the Bay, Otis Redding. Oh, no, that is that is perfect. I could have gone with that. I could have gone with that. That's a good song. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it's about as close to a perfect song as you can get. Yeah, it, it's I, I, I could agree with that. That's it's got. I, yeah, I, I love that song. Well, I, to me, that question is always mood, a mood question. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's relevant to the last, you know year of year and a half of everybody's lives right i mean covid is uh yeah i liked a lot of dmx songs too (laughs) so it's rare that we interviewed so we're never prepared (laughs) we had we did some stuff with peter cohen uh we had him on twice and the first time he reversed every question on us uh it's the the worst question and we were like oh no he's so well i didn't do that (laughs) no but i i like it well tim I'm sure we'll have an episode like that. As far as uh, beyond the New England travel I have, I'm coming to NAPE. Are you guys going to be at, at NAPE um, August 18th, 19th, 20th? Yes, we will. Plug in for uh, NAPE. That is, that is a Weddingville for me. So I will oh. be – my daughter, my oldest is getting married. So, I mean, congratulations, but, you know, we'll have a fun time without you. Yeah, please do. Morgan, Morgan, right? Morgan? Yep, Morgan. Congratulations, Morgan. She's losing the loser, right? She's losing the loser. Yeah, the the theme of all her bachelorette parties, they all have a sign that says so long, Lose the loser. Oh, my God. I think lose the loser would be so great. Later, loser. Oh, that's good. All right. My wife and I are torn to be used to that phrase. (laughs) See you guys. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye.